0: Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette. We visited with uh, Phil Devy on Wednesday. We will visit with Dr. Ashley Brignack Domek later, and we are talking right now. Let me welcome on my next guest, Paul Bacco. Played a dozen years of Major League Baseball. Played catcher for Louisiana's Raging Cajuns USL back in the day, and he is one of four members along with the other two I mentioned and, uh, the late great Tony show, to go into this illustrious 2021 Louisiana athletics hall of fame class. He will go in tonight. Uh, Paul, first off, man, good morning. Um, if, if you had to come out tonight before your speech to like a beastie boys song, what's your, what's your favorite beastie boys song ever? Where are you going with this?
1: Well, those might be two different things, God, but, uh, like a walk-up song and a favorite song, but I mean, walk-up song would probably be "No Sleep Till Brooklyn." But favorite song, it's a toss-up. Probably between Paul Revere and Ryman and Stealing.
0: Oh, I mean, you bring in the like Led Zeppelin in the background, and you start with Ryman and Stealing, Bob and the Forty Thieves. See, like you, I've I've figured a man of your age, and you're a young man. But I, I knew that you would know some old Beastie Boys stuff. Like, I'll ask some of the younger cats I have on, or, like, some on the current UL football team, and, like, they have no idea. Like, Billy Napier, he's like, oh, sabotage all day. But the players are like, I have no idea who the Beastie Boys are. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a generational thing for sure, right?
1: Fair. Fair. I'm sure that they would have some artists today that they're listening to all the time that, you know, we might be stumped on as well now, right? Like. We might not be listening to the same stuff they're listening
0: to. So, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a clue, and I, yeah, I would have no idea. Uh, and they, they tell me about it, and I'm like, I got nothing. But it's just a reminder that I'm not young anymore. But it doesn't mean it doesn't mean I'm old. Like, like Anthony Babineau, our mutual friend, he says, like, just because, just because I'm a little older, doesn't mean I'm old. And he's adamant about that. I know he had a milestone birthday not that long ago and uh, and you might have one coming up but speaking of milestones Paul first off man congratulations uh Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns Hall of Fame you being a kid that that grew up in Lafayette played for you well like what when you got that call what was uh, what was going through your mind
1: oh man uh, it was a great call uh and uh you know it, it hadn't been that long but I, I think it's early uh, it's clear that it's it's going to be one of those calls where, you know, I'm around for the rest of my life, like where you were and all that type of stuff, right? And so it was a huge moment and, um, you know, honored, thrilled, proud, um, all those things all rolled into one. And, uh, I don't know, the, the bittersweet part of it, it just, you know, kind of start thinking about how long ago the playing career was and, and you know, put the number to it. And it's a little disappointing how long ago that was, but we can't control that and but uh look got it it's, it's a huge honor um you know to be then going in with somebody that's actually a, a friend of mine, uh Phil Beebe and I don't know Ashley and, and I got to know Coach Rove a little bit, didn't play for him, but to go in with this class is, you know, just kind of spicy on the cake. Super happy and super proud.
0: Yeah, man. Well it's awesome. And uh <clears throat> when you see Phil tonight, tell him to show you an old YouTube video of him as a teenager in Canada at a Beastie Boys concert. It's like, you know what it is. Like I I I feel like Paul and I and and this I love Phil. I feel like somebody could have looked at you in high school and been like, okay, he's he's gonna play college ball. I don't know that folks looked at Phil that way, but all he did was uh was walk on and become one of the, you know, greatest pitchers in, in program history. But um you play catcher right out the gate, right through freshman, 18 years old, you're in there doing your thing in the early nineties with occasions. What, um, was there ever a decision you had to make as to whether you wanted to go play for UL and between the pros or perhaps another school? Can you take us back through that decision process whenever you were wrapping up at Lafayette high?
1: Sure. It, it actually was, I guess maybe surprisingly simple. Um, you know, uh, you know, I was, you know, I mean, I was a pretty darn good player, right, in high school, and just thought there might have been more interest coming from some other state schools, and and maybe even regionally or potentially nationally. But it, you know, I can't recall if I just signed and committed so early that that didn't get a chance to kind of take place. But look, um, Mitch Gasboard was on me early. He and I developed a really good relationship, and uh, and. You know, a whole lot of, just a real good relationship. I just trusted him. And, and, um, you know, staying close to home at that time of my life was uh, real important to my family. My parents didn't really have the, uh, you know, capability or means to have me go elsewhere. And they wanted to see me play all the time, et cetera. So it made it a real simple, easy decision to go to UL. Um, Then getting drafted by the Indians... I was like the old school Indians Mm -hmm. Um, go back at what what was it like municipal stadium or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that was before they kind of revamped the organization and I was, I was a six round draft pick in high school, but they never really came and um, made an offer for something to, you know, for me to really consider or going to college Um, and looking back on it really was probably one of the best decisions ever made because, you know, I was 17 graduating high school. I mean, I turned 18 that June, but after getting the play in the minor leagues, right. And seeing what it took and, and the personalities and characters and, and, you know, just the, the talent that I was going to be playing against in the minor leagues. Had I signed out of high school, looking back on it, I probably would not have been ready. I don't think I would have been ready from a maturity standpoint, and who knows if it'll work out or not. I'm just really thankful that I went to UL and got my three years of college in.
0: It all worked out in the end. And uh, During your time with, with the Raging Cajuns, what is, I'm sure you got plenty of memories, Paul. Paul Baco, our guest, he'll be going into the Louisiana Athletics Hall of Fame tonight, officially. What is your number one memory from your playing days in college?
1: Um, that would be, the regional final, my freshman year playing LSU. Uh, you know, I, I call it a regional final. I'm sure most of us do, but we came through the losers' bracket. LSU came through the winners' bracket, so we'd had to beat them twice. Um, so it's a, you know, regional final with an asterisk, kind of sort of. But you know, right. we didn't get past that first of the potential two games against them. But um, just that playing that game in that environment as a freshman, even though, like, look, obviously it the end of my freshman year then, but just that intensity, that environment, it essentially, you know, being a home game for LSU, even though we're just right down the road. I mean, I just—I know there were UL fans there, it just didn't feel like it. Um, that was something that really sticks out, and, and, uh, and I've told this to a couple other folks this week, Scott, that that game, you know, that day – and finding out whether or not I made my high school team my freshman year, like Friday, whenever, you know, the team was kind of announced, the people that made the team, and my big, big, big debut are the three most nerve-wracking, you know, anxious days I've had in my baseball career. So that clearly stands out pretty big time, that LSU regional final.
0: And saying that those are the ones that you had the most nerves considering – how many moments you were a part of during your major league career is, uh, is something, but about that debut, you know, you, uh, you broke in what with the Tigers, I think in 98, what were, what was the grind like in the minor leagues for those that we hear stories. I asked Phil a little bit about the minors, but a lot of guys don't get through there. You did. What were those, what was that, five years or so, three years? What, what was the minor it league process four, like? It
1: was four and a half years, right? Okay. The half season that I signed, uh, summer of 93, and then four full seasons after that. Two years of A-ball, one year of double-A, one year triple-A. That's what it was. How? So, I mean, you, tell, yeah, I mean tell me what what, what you're looking for. Scott, meaning, like, you know how was it?
0: Or, or- yeah, I guess, I guess just like what's life like for a minor leaguer that actually did it? Because we just on the outside we hear the stories, right? The PB and J's, the you know the the constant moving around, bunking with teammates. But like how how are you how are you able to focus on baseball at that age, at a time where I guess you don't you're not given much, right? I mean it it's it's no. it's a grind.
1: No, I mean. Looking back on it, uh, I mean, it was very easy to focus on it, to be honest. I mean, like, yeah, some of the logistics were uh, pretty tough to deal with at the time, meaning, you know, getting flown out to Billings, Montana, and, you know, I don't – just get – I don't know, getting in a cab or something and going to the field and then just really being on your own is, I think, just – barely turned 21-year-old young man and just saying, you know, go get him, find a place to live, get your whole world together and just make sure you're on time at the ballpark for, you know, practice and games. Once we got our living arrangements set up and found a place to live, uh, everything was simple, just baseball. And, and looking back on it, um, honestly, it's going to sound kind of strange or, uh, to some, but the minor leagues was actually more fun than uh, the big leagues, and well, in a few different levels, um, it was just truly—it was just less distraction, and it was—it was just us teammates. There was no media. The uh, it just you just played, and you got to know your teammates. You were on buses and and motels instead of hotels. You had a roommate, and we seemed to all just kind of hang out more so as a team, like maybe five of us, ten of us, hanging out in a, in a particular hotel room. Whereas once you get to the big leagues, everybody's got their own room. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing, and very soon thereafter, it becomes—you know—I I say a job. It's, that's a job in quotes, right? I mean, it was kind of a, a dream job, clearly. But the minor leagues was, was just so much fun, um, and just much more of a pure baseball experience than the big leagues was. And uh, hopefully, I'm—I'm I'm kind of giving you some color to where you can understand it. Sure. Yeah. But,
0: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. You know, that's truly really kind of what it was, um, you know. And, and some of the old school minor leagues movies aren't that far off, you know. I mean, some of it's a little bit of a stretch here and there, but uh, you know, Bull Durham's not not that far off of you know, my reality in the minor leagues.
0: Is that your What's your favorite baseball movie? Oh,
1: I'd say yeah, Bull Durham. With Field of Dreams, probably close second.
0: Gotcha. Paul Bacco is our guest. I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette. Paul Bacco going into the Louisiana Athletics Hall of Fame class tonight. Was there, this is the last minor league question for you, Paul. Did you ever have a doubt in your mind that you were going to make it to the majors, or did you always know, I'm going to be there?
1: Oh, man. Yes. Uh, no, for sure. Doubt. Um, yeah. Doubt wasn't something that I battled. But when you're out, you know, when you're in the minor leagues and you're working hard and trying to do the best you can and, you know, the answer is yes. I I had some doubts. I didn't always think I was going to make it. Um, One particular example is after having a really good, like, kind of like short season, all-star caliber rookie ball year, um, they sent me, like, I skipped low A ball and went to high A, right? There was even talk about me going straight to double A. Went to high A in the Carolina league, and I did have a little bit of, like, looking back at back trouble. I, had, I was kind of battling a sore back for a decent part of the year. But, Scott, I hit 204, full season baseball, uh, you know, first year, first full season, and, uh, and you hit 204 in the high league. And there's definitely some some doubt creeping in, right? I mean, uh, it was just a – it just opened my eyes big time to to just realize how tough it was. And uh, for whatever reason, um, you know, maybe it was a little healthier the next year. Maybe I made some adjustments, maybe a combination thereof. But went back to the same city, same team, and turned things around, had a good year, and kind of springboarded from there. So I think once I got past that, and uh, and got to double A, and you know, playing with a, like, with and, and against a couple of guys here and there that had been to the big leagues, and realized that I could I could compete and play with them. Then it, it, I realized that it was much more realistic, and uh, and if I kept plugging plugging away and, and working hard, I should you know ultimately get there, if just for a day or a week or what have you, right? And then. Just kind of keep pushing and pushing, and, and things really worked out to, Uh be able to stick out there
0: for a while. Paul Baco, I guess. Yeah, a I, I, while. Wow. I mean, 11 different major league uniforms you wore. Uh, you were in the postseason on four different occasions. You played, what, a dozen years in uh, in the big leagues. and I guess before, this isn't so much a, a, a baseball question in terms of playing the sport as much as sort of living it. When did you like? When did you get married and have kids? Uh, and and how how difficult is that for a major leaguer that has to move around as as much as you did?
1: Oh, well, that's a really good question. So yeah, that made it really difficult um, towards the end when when my kids were in school and and not knowing where we we're going to be the next year right not able to put them in school in that particular city because we didn't know where we we're going to be the next year so yeah my, my wife and i Wari, i met in high school and started dating right at the end of our high school senior year and um she started off at lsu eventually transferred to ul and we dated all through college got married and and uh, when I was in A Ball. And so she's been with me the whole ride. Uh, our daughter's our oldest. She was born, just, what is it, a month, maybe two months before my big league debut. So her whole childhood was me playing in the big leagues until she was like 12, right? And um, and the end, Scott, like the end, meaning, you know, 2007, eight, and nine, when Abby, our oldest, was in. I don't know what is what greatly, but like you know, middle school, uh-huh. and our son was in elementary school, and them being here for the you know for the duration of the school year, with with a few extended kind of visits, it just became really tough. And um, and had I had a little bit more stability, meaning you know maybe was able to sign a two year deal here and there, or or been in a city multiple years, multiple seasons possibly to probably could have probably extended it, um, you know, another year or two, but it just got, uh, it got pretty taxing to be away and just that whole lifestyle kind of, you know, a lot of sacrifice involved and it was just kind of, kind of time to turn the page on it and, and, uh, establish some roots and, and some family time.
0: I guess that, that probably made retirement a, a little bit easier in terms of the decision, I'm sure it's not easy to leave the game behind as a player, but you know, playing for a lot of different franchises, you never spent more. You spent two seasons in a couple of places. Um, yep. you know Greg Maddox speaks glowingly of you. Um, you know, most of your teammates that you ever had, and a lot of the pitchers do. Why? Why do you feel like you were never able to sign that multi-year contract where you were able to just kind of stay rooted in one place for a team that's like, look, we're not trading you. We want you to sort of anchor this catcher position for years?
1: Well, um, you know, ultimately, the bottom line was my offense wasn't enough to, for a team to really commit to me. So while I was really good behind the plate and, and really good handling a fishing staff, you know, that's, that's kind of sort of a, a commodity in the big leagues, right? I mean, that's replaceable. But if I could, you know, if I was a, somebody that could hit, If I hit 260 to 280 Mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, double-digit homers or something, then I'm sure I would have gotten a three-year deal or or a couple multi-year deals. But just the bottom line, to answer your question is offense. My offense limited me Um, as a player. Just the big league pitching was really difficult to hit. Um, And then, you know, I think not necessarily unfairly, but, but early on I got labeled as a backup catcher or, you know, Right at the beginning, it was kind of sort of platoon, you know, play against most of all the righties. Then that quickly, once I got traded to Atlanta, which is a busing and a curse at the same time, getting the catch for Greg, uh, you know, with Hobby being there, I was just the backup catcher, right? And it's hard to kind of shake that label. And with the limited batch you get as the backup catcher, it's hard to it's hard to hit, and, and it's hard to be an offensive producing player. And so it kind of almost ended up being like a self fulfilling prophecy, right? to get 150 at bats a year. Pretty difficult to hit 300 like that. Right? Yeah, yeah. there's only one guy that really stood out, and at least in my era, that was able to do that. And it was a former teammate of mine, Mike Redmond, who was, you know, really good offensively and very sporadic playing time. Uh, you Not know, that he was bad behind the dish. But you know, he wasn't the catcher. I was. So, uh, <laughs> bottom line is, it would have been just the offense. God, is what kind of kept me moving around everywhere. The lack thereof.
0: Paul Baco, our guest, you played with some great players. I mean, the all-time greats, whether it be a King Griffey Jr., mentioned Greg Maddox, I could go on and on. Who's the best player you ever played with?
1: Um, it's a very good question. Somebody just asked me this yesterday, and it, and it stumped me, so I, I'm glad I had a little bit of time to think about it. Um, and I go back to somebody who's not in the Hall of Fame yet, and um, – for a five- to ten-year period of time, I thought Andrew Jones was the best player in baseball because of what he did in center field you know, and at the plate. Um, and it, it might sound a little wacky considering Chipper's no. on that team, right? And, uh, and King Griffey Jr. that okay. I played with later. Um, but Andrew, you know, he took away a huge part of the field from, from the other team's offense. Uh, just by how much ground he covered in center, and he was hitting 30, 40 homers a year. Uh, just really, really a freak of nature there. Um, Ken Griffey Jr., I would say, probably the best player, you know, generational player that i played with. Um, i played with Junior in the back end of his career uh, so where he wasn't Ken Griffey Jr., right? right. He, was, he was towards the end, but as far as he's probably the best, best player. And then I had the, the privilege of, seeing Joey Votto play every day his his rookie year in 2008, and he turned out to be a really, really good one who's probably under the radar for most. And had he been in a bigger market, uh-huh. he'd be having, like, TV commercials and stuff, you know, national TV commercials and stuff, probably. He's, he's a really good
0: player. Paul Baco, I guess. You played for uh, of some of the teams you played for. You did play for Houston. You did play for Atlanta. You just referenced Andrew Jones. What, um... Do you have a, a rooting interest in this World Series? Like, what are your thoughts on this one tied up one game to one right now?
1: I do. Let me back up a second. And maybe it's because he it was just earlier, but Jeff Bagel was a really good player. I mean, like, a real, like for a first baseman, he was a really well rounded player. I mean, like, he could steal a base for you. He was really good at first base and really the offense speak for itself. he was a phenomenal teammate. Um, I think he deserves some mention. And, one of the all time greats that I played with. But I, this World Series is very interesting to me. I um, played for both organizations and actually played for both against each other in, in various years of the playoffs. Um, 2001, I was very, you know, I was fortunate to get to play the whole first round of the playoffs when we swept the Braves, excuse me, swept the Astros with the Braves because uh, Javi was hurt. And, uh, actually got, hit, got to hit a home run um, in the clinching game of playing three of the NLDS, I think. And that was like two days uh, prior to my son being born here in Lafayette, which I was able to make it back. It was just a really wild kind of special time in our family's lives. That was, you know, a couple months after 9-11 had happened. Uh, but, um, you know, had, had Dusty Baker not – if he weren't the manager of the Astros right now, it would just be a coin toss for me, and I wouldn't necessarily care which which organization won. But I'm rooting for Dusty big time, um, and hope he gets to win this World Series. He, uh, I feel like he he's not necessarily owed one, but I feel like he deserves one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I honestly think that he's the best manager I played for, and I and I did play for him and Bobby Cox, but I, uh, no offense to Bobby. And uh I just think Dusty is just a better manager. Um and has done the most with the least a few times, whereas Bobby just had a dynasty, right? That he was just essentially just drive a you know, steering a big ship that was a that was a dynasty. And Dusty's never really
0: had that privilege. So I hope he wins this one. Yeah. Or maybe should have been a dynasty. I guess a dynasty in the end, NL Al. always felt like they they should have won more. Um and yeah.
1: Look, it- I'm, I'm glad you said that's not something I could say, right? But I, I, I hear what you're saying completely. <laughs> that they won, I think, 14. I was I was part of you know, those 14 division titles in a row. That's wild, and one World Series on that. Is that correct?
0: That's right. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I hear what you're saying, and yeah. I think I agree with it.
0: the uh, The Cubs, you know, your time there. I've asked you about the Bartman game. I mean, is there? Just is uh, is that the craziest moment of your career? Because baseball is full of craziness, and uh, but that one man, that night, that's it's not as infamous as it once was. Since the Cubs have you know finally finally broke through years back, but man, I, I just I remember I was in college at the time. I think I was a senior, and I'm just sitting there watching. Just I couldn't. I I was like I can't believe it, and yet I can because this is Wrigley, this is the Cubs, this would happen.
1: Well. I didn't know that that moment was going to be the craziest moment or, or what have you, the wildest. But, you know, what happened from then on for the next 20 minutes or whatever it was, for us to go from up three nothing to down eight to three or whatever the heck it was, um, was the yeah the, the wildest happening and uh, definitely most infamous happening I've ever been a part of. Um, you know, when when that happened, you know, you, I couldn't tell from where I was and, and we didn't have replays to see at Wrigley, right? Um, I, I couldn't tell really what happened with Moises and Barton's glove, et cetera. But, um, you know, after that half inning and then after we lose the game and then after – I mean, even that night, really hard going to sleep. I mean, it was – and then we lose game seven. And that took – it took some years to shake – the the memory or, or just of not thinking about that a couple of times a day. It took some time and, uh, and time heals everything. Right. And and then, you know, with the Cubs winning, what was it? Five years ago. Yeah. Um, that definitely helped kind of really, really put that behind all of us. I'm sure.
0: Paul Baco has been our guest. Paul, I, I know you've got tons of stories. I feel like I could talk to you all day um but i know you've also got some things you need to tend to so i'm gonna let you run man but um all the best congratulations on the hall of fame very deserving enjoy the moment uh tonight and um you know uh you can always win a crowd over by just telling a joke about phil dv so if you slip one in there you know i feel like it could ease everyone up but uh yeah man I, I really appreciate it dude and i love I'd love to have you on again sometime in the future man, because uh, anybody that plays a lot of time in the majors like i i don't i'll be honest I don't watch as much major league baseball as I do other sports, and yet I've read more books about major league baseball than other sports because like nonfiction right like firsthand because I, I just i love the stories I love the idea of sort of that clubhouse and what happens in the day to day life of a baseball player? So I don't know that you have any interest in writing a book, but if you did, I would I would read it cover to cover. I promise you that.
1: Wow. Well, all right. So uh, we would at least sell one copy,
0: huh? One, one, one. I mean,
1: <laughs> all right, I'll give it to you consideration, man. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Done, done. I'll be your copywriter, and then uh, you know if you need someone to just read the audio of it, they'd probably prefer you. But I, I do some voiceover stuff on the side, so I'll do it pro bono.
1: Perfect. Give me an email. It sounds good. It sounds like we're on the census.
0: All right. That is Paul Baco. He has been our guest. Congratulations, Paul, uh, on the Hall of Fame. We'll talk to you again, man. All the best to you and the family. Take care. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. You got it. Ashley Brignack is next. Dr. Ashley brignack domek Rage Occasion softball. Great. She's going in tonight as well. We'll talk to her right after this. It's the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette. <laughs>